Hi, Stephanie. How's it going? Oh, let me get my camera going. Hi, Hi. Stephanie. Hi. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, we're so glad that you could join us. Yes. Yeah. Um, so this is Ashley and I'm Ange. Obviously, it's great to connect with you. And you must be so excited. You have a big book coming out. Yes, yes. And I just hit bestseller in multiple categories already. So it's very, very exciting. <laughs> wonderful. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, well, welcome to the podcast. Why don't you tell our audience a little bit more about who you are and what it is that you do, Stephanie? Okay, sure. So my name is Stephanie Hutchins, and I am now a published author of Transformation After Trauma, Embracing Post-Traumatic Growth. And the topic of my book closely aligns with the mission of my business, um, Serotonous Life. And Serotonous Life is all about embracing the... Um, the strength and resiliency and all the other um, unexpected benefits that can come from hardship. And um, instead of um, wishing, you know, that it never happened and mourning the loss of what will never be, um, I encourage people to embrace new beginnings and what's possible moving forward. So... <laughs> That's awesome. So what brought you into doing this type of work? Have you always been doing it or is it something new for you? No, so it's it's very new. So I've had a few renditions of my my career. So I've been a professor um, for twelve years, and I taught um, anatomy and physiology mostly for those years. So a variety of different science courses, mostly about the human body. But I also um, I have a long trauma history myself, and do a lot of work just in working through that. And I'm big into personal and professional development, and as I got stronger um, and people saw like my traveling and adventures that I have all over the world. Um, I started to speak a little bit more about what drove these adventures and my hiking all over the world. And, um, and I started to open up more about what drove me and people became very inspired and it, it caused me to really dig into more of my story and sharing. And the more I shared, the more people wanted to know. And the more I shared, more people felt they had permission to share their own story. And, um, and so I just, I guess that just sort of snowballed into me seeing like, how can I harness my experiences, um, you know, and just help people knowing what I have learned along the way in my healing journey. So that's really, really beautiful. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I work in a healing field as well. So I think it's really powerful, whatever the modality is to to for people to be able to reach out make that shift and start living their best life that's that's what we're here for right absolutely absolutely and so stephanie this is our first meeting together mm -hmm. and you talked about sharing your story and i don't want to put you on the spot but <laughs> i would love to hear even just a snippet of something that you experienced and the transformation that you went through um, to get you to being a best-selling author. Because I think for so many of us, we are in that trauma place or have been in that trauma place. And yet you've made this giant leap into joy and bliss and excitement about your life. And so if you would be willing, we would love to hear just a little tiny bit of the beginning place, the middle place um, that led you to this beautiful, exciting life that you're living. 
Oh, absolutely. And I, and I, I am definitely okay with sharing um, because I'm very vulnerable in my book and I don't actually ever go too much into my trauma because my point is not to keep people where I was at. I want them to look down into the hole I was in and watch how I got myself out. So I never like to bring people too deep, but the, to summarize my, my trauma history is that um, I have been sexually violated by eight men um, during my life between the ages of nine to 19. And, um, and at 25, I found the love of my life dead. And so, yeah, like, oh, yeah. So um, when I thought I was unlovable, I found a man, I mean, this man just loved me. I he would, you know, he'd leave flowers on my doorstep and cards on my pillowcase and he just adored me but he was he was not healthy you know he was not a healthy man but he blessed me in amazing ways and um and when i i found him dead it was a week and a half before i closed on the house we were supposed to move into together and so i ended up moving into a home and just thinking about all the things we were supposed to be doing together and at that point right a couple of weeks before Um, he passed, I had started addressing my traumas. I never talked about my traumas until before he died. So I was flooding. When he passed, I was already flooding with memories and then he died. And so I spiraled out of control. I put on an enormous amount of weight. Um, I got up to 222 pounds. And so I love looking at your pictures, P.S., on your website of your of the even physical transformations that you guys help Team Eng helps um, um, people with. It's really amazing because um, I even myself have gone through a tremendous um, physical transformation um, throughout my process of healing. And so I ended up at 222 pounds. Um, I had sleep apnea. I had high cholesterol and my doctor was like, okay. And this, I wasn't even 30 yet. And my doctor was like, okay, Steph, I know what you went through, but this enough is enough. You've got to figure this out. And so I ended up, um, finding the mountains and, taking up hiking and the hike, you know, it just ended up being very therapeutic for me. And what I found, see, one thing that I really focus on with my book and my coaching clients is that reframing, you know, circumstances in our life and changing our perspective. And I started to look at all that I have went through and looked at the fact that I'm still here and I've survived and what that must mean for my strength and resiliency. And so I started to really embrace these ideas. And what happened in the mountains is that I was able to sort of anchor those feelings of strength and perseverance and determination with these climbs I was doing. So I was morbidly obese and starting to hike. <laughs> so like every little mountain felt like Mount Everest to me. <laughs> so so everything was a struggle. And what I realized is I just broke it down step by step. And I eventually, you know, succeeded. And I just, you know, when I got to the top of every mountain where I thought it was impossible, it just proved to me that I could do hard things. And then each hike would get a little bit bigger and a little harder. And then I lost weight and I got stronger mentally and physically. And it just sort of snowed balled into me doing really enormous climbs. And, and then I, I just, it branched out into me traveling. What other great things have I always wanted to do? Oh, I want to travel the world. So now I've been on five continents and traveled all over five continents. And, oh, I always wanted to write a book and I want to my PhD. And so all these things, just one goal after another, just proving to myself, I can do hard things. And, um, and yeah, so I guess that's that's my story in a nutshell. <laughs> really beautiful. So beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Wow. When you said that you didn't want to dive in, I'm like, I totally respect that. <laughs> you shared some really deep and heavy trauma. So thank you because being vulnerable can be scary for many people and for I find with the people that I work with, a lot of it comes down to sharing the scary, right? right? When we share that scary place, all of a sudden I'm safe. 
you're safe and we can we can share that story between us so thank you that is beautiful and powerful just in and of itself so (laughs) one of the things that I hear Stephanie from your story that is so beautiful is one of the things that connects really deeply to what Ange does is moving energy the importance Mm -hmm. of those hikes those mountains really digging deep physically mm-hmm. for an emotional release right and yeah. the importance of grounding being in nature touching mm-hmm. it seeing it being a part of it to allow that release to be um not condensed but totally out there in the universe which i think yeah. is so powerful because mm-hmm. when we connect to even just the memory of that it allows for more release. Right. I could even say as she's talking, all, I, all I'm hearing is like, as you were climbing the mountains and doing the things, you were building confidence right. in a way of like, ah, I did that. And for somebody for so long that maybe went through so many situations where it either felt like you didn't have control or you weren't able to do things because of external factors to just be able to be in the position that you were feeling like, oh my goodness, yes, maybe other people around me are thinking you are morbidly obese or you aren't able to do this. And then you did it. You're like, huh. Well, that's kind of cool. I did that thing. And then the next time you go out, you're like, ah, I can kind of do that thing. I think it is just so hard for people who haven't done a thing yet to look at the mountain, to look at the weight loss journey, to look at the thing that looks so hard, so painful. Almost they want to just like pretend like it's not there. It's so hard for them to just face it and say, this is really hard. This is really scary, but I have to do something because where I'm at right now can no longer serve me. It protected me for a while, but I can't move forward from this place. So for the person that's listening, that is like, I know this sounds optimistic. You guys are awesome. You guys are living your best lives. You're radiating Mm -hmm. energy, but that's not me. I could never be that. This pain is dragging me down so much. What advice would you give them? Hmm. Oh, because I, I know that place, you know, very well. And something I oh, I have to say to everybody, you know, including the listeners is I I didn't start off with just going straight for my PhD and I didn't go straight for doing some of the biggest mountains in the world. Like I, I started really small, like some of my biggest goals. So you have to know my first chapter in my book is about the power of goal setting after trauma. And my whole second book um, that I'm almost finished actually is all about the power of goal setting after trauma. And people think it's so weird sometimes to hear like me talk about goal setting and trauma, but what they don't realize it, it was hands down the most important part of my healing journey. Because when I got, I was, I was just so, I mean, I was in a really, really bad place um, before I started hiking. And so, I mean, I would go days without bathing. Um, I wouldn't take out the trash. My home was really unkept. And so my goals started really small with just self-care like just basic things with taking care of myself. And what I found is that as I did one step, it made the next step easier. So, so like what I really encourage people, I guess what I'm saying is don't look, if you have this huge sort of goal, like don't, don't go there if it's really overwhelming, like what's the smallest step you could take now that could get you just a little bit closer than where you are now, you know, and maybe it's not even like, you know, some people think that they need to right away, you know, when they're overcoming hard things that they need to be pursuing a big like goal that will be dramatic to the world. No, actually it can be just something that would be life-changing for you. You know, like what's one thing in your life that's really harming you. And so for, for you guys, I know, especially for team manage, um, that you guys focus a lot, um, um, on the physical body, but of course how that ties in with, you know, the mental um, being as well, but sometimes it's about what is something that I can do to care for me? Because once you show yourself that you are worth being taken care of, 
then it sort of gives you permission to start dreaming a little bit bigger, you know, and then you can start moving towards like a, maybe a little bit bigger goal. And then it builds the confidence you were talking about earlier, you know, like once you start seeing that you are capable of achieving certain things, it'll make it easier to achieve the next. And so I think it's about, it's just starting small and acknowledging like, is where you are today, where you want to stay. Like with my coaching clients, like they come to me because they're at a breaking point. They're like, I cannot continue to live my life the way it is going right now. So we have to figure like, they have to many times be at that place where enough is enough. And then think, okay, what is the one thing I can do that would cause the biggest ripple effect over the greatest number of facets of my life and start chipping away at that first, you know, do people make the biggest mistake of trying to tackle all different facets of their life at one time. And that's very overwhelming. And so it's like about picking the one thing that would make the biggest difference. And then as you get that one thing under control, you can tackle the next big one thing, you know? And what I'm hearing, Stephanie, is something we actually talked about in our previous, one of our previous episodes is chunking. Yeah. Literally like, and I do, I seriously do this when I clean my countertops. Like I start at one end and I just have to get to like the middle point. And once I get to the middle point, I'm like, oh yeah, I can continue on. And I, right. But it's about, and we do it with students. We do it with our kids where it's like, could you just pick up five toys? Don't like clean up all 47 that are everywhere and literally on the ceiling right now. Just pick up five. And once you've picked up five, that motivation to be like, well, I can pick up another five. Sure you can. Yeah, you can. Let's go. Let's go. Right. And then 37 toys are tidied up in no time. But to just be like, here you go. It's, it's too much. Right. And so I think it's really beautiful that that can be pulled in, in a trauma situation, not just with our kids signing up toys kind of thing. Right. That's really powerful. And the parallel between that, I would say like the fact that you're relating that piece to goal setting and going in that direction is something I've never really thought about at all, really, in terms of how that would be such a big part of that healing process. Um, One thing I'm curious about, though, for you, Stephanie, is like when it comes to trauma, in your case, the trauma was big. You Mm -hmm. felt it. You Mm -hmm. knew it was holding you down. You holding Mm -hmm. you down. It was right there in your face. But for some people, I don't even think that they know that trauma is the reason that's holding them back because that trauma is the, how they're handling stressful situations in the future. Right. So mm-hmm. it's like, they don't realize that that trauma response is what's showing up often in stressful situations in the, in the future. So for somebody that's listening, can you define what trauma is for somebody that's like, well, I didn't have sexual abuse or I didn't mm-hmm. find that, but I think trauma is often the root cause of a lot of those reactions in the future. So can you define that? Yeah. So, um, and you, you have to understand that I am um, somebody who doesn't um, buy into this idea that there are like big T traumas and little T traumas, like, you know, that because I don't believe in saying like somebody's trauma is worse than another person's trauma. So I just sort of want to qualify that. But what all trauma has in common is that it challenges or or I should better say overwhelms one's ability to cope. So it really challenges their coping mechanisms. And so when we think of trauma, many people default to, again, what some people refer to as the big T traumas, you know, war, um, terrorism, you know, sexual, physical assault, those kinds of things. But trauma doesn't have to be just those things, because what people don't understand is like take divorce. For some people, divorce may just (laughs) be I didn't mean to say just just as in that way, but. For some people, divorce may be considered a stressful life event, meaning it was very difficult for them, but it didn't sort of derail their whole life, you know, but take another person, a divorce. Let's say that when they were younger, they were neglected or felt neglected by a parent, one or both parents, and they felt unlovable and unworthy. 
And then now this person that was supposed to, again, be dedicated to them and love them is now abandoning them again in a sense saying they're unlovable and unworthy. That could throw them into a complete tailspin and actually overwhelm their ability to cope and it can become a traumatic event for them. And so what can be traumatizing for one person may not be traumatizing for another. And a lot depends on history. You know, um, what does your past look like and what what kind of kind of hard things have you already experienced and what support systems did you have in place to handle those hard things before? You know, because sometimes, you know, you may have lots of like smaller stressful events occur throughout your life, but you never addressed it and you never properly came up with healthy coping mechanisms. And then a big event like a divorce or loss of a job um, and financial security could just overwhelm you completely. And for some people, it may not seem like that overwhelming, but what they're not realizing is that their history is playing itself out um, and they don't realize it, you know, sometimes why um, one of these events becomes so devastating to them, you know? So, I don't know. <laughs> That's beautiful. And so, Stephanie, do you feel like everybody has trauma? Well, I feel that nobody will escape, you know, the experience of trauma. You know, I don't necessarily believe that everyone at their point in life right now has experienced trauma up to their point in their lifespan. But I believe that you live long enough, you are going to experience something traumatic in your lifetime. And, um, and there is going to be one or more events in your life that is going to challenge your ability to cope. And so that's why, you know, I try to teach skills that are not just about just dealing with just trauma is dealing it's that you can only just use in the aftermath of trauma. There are tools that are meant, they're really just self-care tools that are meant to be practiced. So when the inevitable stresses of life and the inevitable traumas of life show up that you have coping mechanisms in your back pocket. So you don't get derailed um, maybe as hard or as deep as you would have if you didn't have those mechanisms in place to support you. And that, so that answers my next question. Of, mm. So for the person who has experienced trauma, obviously, but for people out there who are listening and maybe either don't recognize that they are experiencing trauma or feel like, you know, I lived a pretty good life, but I still feel generally stressed. I feel generally anxious. I want to improve my life. Can you share some of those skills with us on what that might look like for someone experiencing trauma all the way to kind of just like life is stressful. It's a lot right now. How do I manage? Yeah. So, so I think that so when things become really stressful, whether it's trauma or just, you know, life, finances, work, you know, children, all these things are stressful when they're compounded, is that what happens is we feel a loss of control. And and like we just we can't keep all the balls up in the air. And so I think it's really important to have a set of practices that you do that you can reclaim some level of control, particularly over the sensations that are occurring in your body. Um, so like um, because I did teach anatomy and physiology for so many years, I'm I really am um, like to encourage people to to become aware of their how stress shows up in their body so but what people don't realize is your body actually knows you're under subconsciously your body knows that you're in stress before you're consciously aware of it so we actually and so when stress shows up in people's lives in people's bodies differently so you know i would encourage your listeners to think about when they're under stress like how does it show up in their body? Does 
their chest tighten? Does their heart beat a little faster? Does their breathing rate go up? Do they get a knot in their stomach? You know, do they sweat? What is the physiological changes, the changes in the body that happen that actually signal a stress response? Because once you can identify that stress response, you can cut it off at the pass and before it escalates. And one of the best, best ways to do it is with breathing exercises. Like changing your breath is one of the quickest ways that you can decrease the stress response. Um, and like, I don't know how much you want to go into it, but like, just for example, um, our fight or flight system, the sympathetic nervous system causes us to take more shallow, frequent breaths out of our chest. Whereas our parasympathetic division is our rest and digest division, um, allows us to expand. So like what happens is if we breathe deep into our belly and allow it to expand, something interesting happens. It actually turns on the rest and digest system and sort of deactivates the stress response. And it can happen within a minute. You can actually like literally have your heart rate come down and respiratory rate come down just by changing how you're breathing. So if I was to teach, I actually, it's the one thing I teach all of my students. I teach all my clients in, in workshops, changing the breathing technique and showing them how to breathe out of their belly um, and to just sort of slow down that stress response. Sorry. Oh, that's amazing. Awesome. Ash, you should tell her a little bit more about what it is that you do with that piece. Oh, yes. <laughs> so I'm a Reiki master and it's interesting because I see a lot of parallels with what you're doing and with what I do. And so I work with clients who they hold stored emotions in the body, right? And we know that emotions don't happen outside of us, right? You've just said that um, that actual response happens within the body. And so it's not always released and so the way that i explain it to clients actually and you touched on this so beautifully that i'm like oh my goodness this is just exactly what i would say um but just in different words so the way i explain it is imagine at birth you're given a box and that box for argument's sake unless you believe in past lives for argument's sake that box is empty right? And we all get this beautiful empty box, but life happens. Trauma happens, disappointment happens, stress, sadness, all of the things that just are heavy. And I kind of equate them to almost like a rock. So some are large and some are small, but they all go into the same place, which the box is actually the body, right? And so what I do, one of the things that we work on with clients is actually releasing what's inside that box, which is the body, which is those stored emotions. And so Reiki is one side releasing that which no longer serves us, that's stored in there. And the other side, which Reiki, actually the word means life force energy, is the channeling of that life force energy that makes us feel vibrant and blissful and like we can handle whatever comes at us, good, bad, whatever it is, we are, we're stable and strong to be able to kind of impersonalize a little bit to all of those things. That's beautiful. <laughs> I love it, actually. Somebody <laughs> was talking, I'm like, I feel like she's talking the same, she's saying the same language. But it's like, it's right. in words, but it's, it's so interesting the way that that, um, yeah, the way that that shows yeah, up. Sure. Yeah. So why don't, why don't you just tell us about your book? I know one of the yes. things you talked about, you said setting goals was one of those pieces. Mm -hmm. but what are some of the other key themes, key tools that you provide mm -hmm. people with in your book, Stephanie? Yeah. So, so I, um, so like I said, so I start out with an introduction and I, you know, a little bit, I start out with an, an, one of my adventures on climbing Mount Kilimanjaro and, you know, just sort of give this overview of, um, 
you know, little snippets of, of the mini transform, you know, in little snippets of my transformation about the hard spots and the transformation. And then I move into goal setting for a reason, because not just because it was the most important part of my healing journey, but because people who have experienced trauma, who are going to pick up my book, they are picking it up because they also have a goal to change. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wanting people to realize that there is a reason they're being drawn to this. And it's because they are not satisfied with some or multiple aspects of their life. And then what I do is I move into, in chapter two, into um, a chapter on habits, replacing habits that no longer serve you. And, and because um, what all trauma has in common is that it overwhelms our capacity to cope. We can oftentimes um, acquire negative self-care habits. So coping mechanisms that are serving a purpose because we wouldn't have them if they didn't serve us, but they're harming us. And so, um, so the next chapter, that chapter is about recognizing those habits that have crept in, um, in a way to help you just survive, you know, your life, but you're realizing they're not serving you. And so why I do that is because then almost the remainder of the book is all about the positive habits you can replace those negative habits that you have acquired. And so, um, so I cover a huge section on meditation. Meditation has been very powerful, um, for me. And, um, and then I cover section on exercise and particularly, um, yoga, um, yeah, yoga and hiking. And I talk about mindful eating. I also like that you guys talk a lot about intermittent fasting on your podcast because I'm, you know, I have put a a section in mindful eating on a note on intermittent fasting in there because it's been so um, important to me and so helpful to me. Um, And then I, I also talk about journaling and creative expression and also, so you have to know my book is, um, really about helping people to take care of themselves because, well, one, I had to do most of my, I mean, most of my traumas happened, you know, and I never told anybody. So I had to figure out how to survive on my own. And, but my idea with the book is what do you do when nobody's there? What do you do when you don't have a friend or family member to call or a therapist to speak to? What do you do in those times of distress? And so I spend most of the book talking about self-care. What can you do for yourself? But then I sort of end off with connection to community and how important it is um, to connect with people or even animals if people are a stretch for you um, in the beginning. And then um, and then I talk about routines, you know, now that you're, you're getting this idea of how to um, incorporate different self-care habits into your life, how do you how do you do that? You know, how do you incorporate regular routines? And then I end the book. My conclusion is called Be Kind to Yourself. Because, I mean, I, (laughs) I have come a long ways, a long ways, but I have a lot more to go. And I think even if we haven't um, experienced trauma, we all can grow. I mean, in our lives, there is no part of our being that we're either growing or dying. We don't, we don't plateau. Like we're either progressing forward or we're falling back. And so you have to be doing something to keep growing. So you don't stagnate and you're going to mess up. And there's going to be times where you're going to revert back to habits that don't serve you. And it's about being patient and kind to yourself and embracing, you know, the bumps and bruises that you get along the way, you know? Um, Yeah. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And what I'm really hearing you say when you're talking about everything that uh, you're presenting here, Stephanie, is radical responsibility. Of like, <sighs> I recognize that I need tools. I need community. I need people to help me. But at some point, it's waking up, looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, hey, you know what? I want to live the best life ever. And the only way that that happens is radical responsibility in all of the choices that you make and headed in a direction that embraces that. 
Oh, I love radical responsibility. What an empowering phrase. Like, I think that I love that so much because, you know, especially, you know, all traumas, they they signify a loss of control, whether it was you being violated physically or sexually by another person, whether it was loss of a loved one, whatever it was, you lost control during that period of time. And I think what is so important, you know, people get so caught up in that moment or moments in time that they did not have control and they forget that there are so many things in their present life that they can grab control. They can, they have complete control over. And once you start seeing everything that's in your present life, that is actually within your control, you can start planning for a future that is entirely within your design that you can control. And, and, but that's hard for some people because that requires work transformation and taking responsibility for your life is, is work. And it's very easy, even though people may not be satisfied with where their life is, we know how easy it is to stay in this place because we know it's it's known, you know, and what's out there, the change that's to come is unknown. Mm-hmm. And so people sometimes um, are scared to take that radical, you know, that take ownership of that radical responsibility, but it's important, but it's empowering. It's, I just, it's really empowering when you start taking control over the areas of your life that you, you absolutely have control over and relinquishing that idea of you trying to grasp onto the areas that you have absolutely no control over. You know, it's the interesting thing that most people that, um, you know, we are all trying to grab control, whether we've experienced trauma or not. And we may exhibit that control by controlling our children, controlling our colleagues, controlling our friends, controlling our significant other. And we forget we have absolutely no control over any of them, <laughs> like nothing. So that infuriates us and frustrates us. But what's empowering is when you start to see what you can actually claim control over and so instead of resisting it and looking how big that task is and how maybe insurmountable it seems it's important to sort of look at it like i that's in my power that's in my realm of control and that's exciting you know i have no control over any of this in my universe but i have control over what's in me and what I do. Ange talks about that a lot in, uh-huh. in relation to the weather of, right? Yeah. Just like what is within my control, that's what I'm going to focus on. Whatever is not, it's outside of my control and I'm just going to let it be what it's going to be. Yeah. And yeah. One of the things that I hear you saying, both of you actually, is the, the gap between familiar and fantastic. Mm. right so familiar is and that's what we lean to that's why women go back to abusive relationships that's why we stay overweight that's why we end up in just kind of the muck we know we're there but we stay with what's familiar versus choosing what we know would be fantastic and so what we're talking about here really what you're talking about what your book does and what you do with your clients is noticing the familiar noticing how uncomfortable the familiar actually is Mm -hmm. and shifting small little bits one at a time into the fantastic life that you say you want you you truly you can see it you want it it's there but you're not there because you keep choosing familiar habits and so continuously choosing little habits at a time to shift you towards that fantastic place Oh, I love how you guys think. <laughs> I was like, these are my people. <laughs> that's, that's what we're thinking too. So. I was like, oh, I love this. Familiar to fantastic. Like, this is just excellent. I mean, really, I mean, this is it, just, you just summed it up perfectly. Is that, and that I think it's important to say, like, and that's why I think it's so important that I, why I ended my book the way I did with being kind to yourself, because what and almost always happens with many of these people when they start going on this journey of moving from familiar to fantastic is they start fumbling and then they get so hard on themselves 
themselves. Like, you know, let's say you're talking about weight loss, for example, and somebody may, you know, have a, you know, lose 20 pounds, but then they allow, you know, five or 10 more to creep back up. And they're like, and they just sort of throw their hands up in the air and, oh, I knew I was going to fail or whatever it is. And they just go back to the familiar. And I think it's about, it's just as you're progressing towards that fantastic life that you're aiming for, you have to recognize trauma or not, you are going to mess up along the way. I mean, that's just where a lot, lot. like a lot, a lot. Life is, we're all so messy. And and I truly believe we are all doing the very best we can every single day. And so that means on those days that you might've, you know, eaten when you said you weren't going to overeat or you, you know, had that dessert when you said you weren't going to do it, whatever it is that you did you did it because you felt that was what you had to do in that moment to survive. And so you've got to recognize that, yes, you fell into a back, an old pattern to survive in that moment, but it's just a reminder, a simple reminder. Oh, wait, I'm supposed to be replacing that with next time this comes up, I should do this instead. So instead of beating yourself up, it's about reflecting. Okay. Why did I do that? And why did I mess up? You know, why did I revert back? And then reminding yourself, okay, what is your mission? And what can you do if the same thing happens in the future so you don't mess up again or maybe as badly, you know, you don't, or you don't get off a track for as long. And I think that's what's really important is no matter what your fantastic life looks like, that it's going to, there's going to be a lot of curves in your, you know, road and bumps along the way. And, and I think it's important to just be patient with yourself and and just remember like treat yourself like you would your child or your best friend what would you say to them if they're trying to get to their you know their fantastic life and they had a bump you know how would you walk them through that and I think it's about that self-compassion and people forget to take care of themselves and just reminding themselves that they they're deserving of that same love that they would give to their loved ones you know in their moments of grief it's so funny that you just said that because literally our last podcast episode was a Q&A and we ended it <laughs> we ended it and we literally said exactly what you just said in terms of the way that we are so hard on ourselves and we're just essentially bringing it back to would you judge your son based on the way that their body looks or the way that your like sister looks you would never oh I can't love my kid because they've got this belly out front that's gross are you kidding me? Right. right? Like, but we do it to ourselves. Right. I love myself with this little pooch out here. When it's gone, I'll love myself. Right. right? And right. so it reminds me of all the things that you're saying. There's a beautiful excerpt. Um, it's called Desiderata by Max Ehrman. And I might be pronouncing that incorrectly. Um, but one of the pieces of it, that's a really like long thing. It's in my bunkie because I just, It speaks so much to me, but it says, be gentle with yourself. You are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Mm. And that's a funny piece, but as you're speaking about be gentle, be kind, you are as beautiful and you have the right to be here just like the stars and the trees. Right. Right. Oh, and that's really, and I think that's important for every single person listening, you know, to this, this session, you know, is that you are deserving of that fantastic life you dream of and you, you deserve self-love and you deserve self-care. And I think it's important for, and that's hard for people. And that's why I think sometimes self-care can be some of the most difficult stuff to practice because sometimes people believe, don't believe they deserve it. And so that's why sometimes it's important to start there with practicing those bits of self-love, you know, and watching our self-talk and reminding ourselves that we, 
we we're supposed to be here and we're supposed to enjoy our lives and and yeah and just to be really patient with ourselves so important for sure Mm -hmm. I would even say just surrounding yourself like as we're talking and I'm like oh my god I feel like they're all (laughs) speaking the exact same language like all of us have our own unique stories ways in which we've got to the place we are right now but I think it's so important to surround yourself around people that are doing this and are like (sighs) giving you the hope that you know that you belong to be with them. You aren't beneath them. You belong in the same table or at the same table. And the more often that we show up in those rooms, the more often that we have those conversations, the more often that we're just like, Oh, she speaks my language versus when we're around people that just drag us down. They're like, why would you be talking all that crazy talk? That's not possible. you're like, huh? watch me (laughs) and and so right and so but I think so often that's what happens to people they get brought down because the people around them the energy around them just drags them down makes them feel less than it brings them down to a place versus creating relationships and creating um companionship with people that are like you are freaking awesome until you are ready to look at that look at yourself in the mirror and think the same thing right and I think of when you say that it's the difference between self-regulation and Mm co-regulation so many of us so self-regulating behavior means so I believe that I could do this I'm going to do it I've and we teach this for kids right we want them to be self-regulating they pick up their backpack they gather their utensils they do it because they are self-regulated right Co-regulation means they rely on somebody else to do that for them. So that's the teacher reminding them, like, grab your things. Oh, you forgot your shoes. Right. And it's very that's young. That's typical behavior. But we we're moving kids towards self-regulation. Right. And so it's the same for us. But we forget that we need that co-regulation often in that beginning place when we don't believe it. I don't believe that I'm worthy. So I need people surrounding me to tell me that hell yes you are and here's why and here are the things I see because that co-regulation piece comes before Mm self-regulation and you know the other thing that people forget that they can do to help with this is if let's say there's not you know, like somebody right there that you can have access to. You can have other people literally in your ear from podcasts, yes. audiobooks, YouTube videos that are immersing like in your ear, in your brain positivity. And this is what I do. Like I listen to at least a couple of hours of personal and professional development every day, um, audio. And I am always have in my ear something positive and uplifting and I have a whole set and I encourage your listeners to do this if they don't do this already is like on my different apps I have like um like uh, YouTube, for example, I have categories of either songs or particularly motivational audio with um, labels of like empowerment, um, like different things um, or like, you know, like one's called depression, like one when I'm feeling down to pick me up. But I have a set of audios that I listen to based on what I'm needing in that moment. So to help me with the self-regulation. So it's another person, but they're not literally there but they could still be in my ear uplifting me and reminding me I am deserving of everything I desire you know so I find that really helps too when somebody is not in my circle at the moment that can remind me and I'm I'm having trouble accessing that thought on my own absolutely I think that's so powerful um, the other day I was actually listening to, you know, the song, I don't know. I don't even know who sings it, but this is my fight song. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Right. And the energy that I feel mm-hmm. when I like crank that up and I'm just like grooving, mm-hmm. I'm like, it doesn't even like the podcasts are fantastic. Obviously this is what we're doing. <laughs> YouTube, But like, even just, if you need a quick charge, taking that three minute song that really mm-hmm. just like, Oh, I'm awake now. I'm ready. I am here. I'm ready to take on this thing that seems so hard. It it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be stressful, but I totally agree. We have so many tools at our disposal right now that to be slogging around our houses lonely 
we have so many people that we can reach out to. There's so many resources that we can fill our psyche and our hearts with that. I think that's a beautiful tool. So thank you for sharing that. Mine is my, that my Lee Cyrus one. So I can almost see. So slow. It always does that to me. I'm like, I don't know why I love you so much. No, no. But I mean, so much research has supported that too, that you can change Mm -hmm. like like a lot of people do that where they'll listen to the same song because it creates the same reaction within the body. And then you can replicate the same thing. So and that's exactly what you talked about with breath, right? It's changing the physiological response that's happening mm-hmm. by simply shifting the environment around you whether oh, it's breath whether it's music whether it's for me it's like the volume of the music if the music is mm-hmm. loud like the tempo of it and it's a song that I love it's very different than if it's like super soft mm-hmm. and like totally so, right so it's knowing and playing with those different things that really shift you to that higher level Absolutely. And what what may work for one person may not work for another. So it's about, you know, sampling these different ideas and seeing like what will cause that quick shift. So when you're and so for one person, it might be breath work and another person, it might be a song. Another person's a motivational speaker or another person going for a walk. But finding like what is that thing that will cause a quick shift in your state and so that you can't you don't stay there for an extended period of time and um and yeah there's so many options yeah I think too the way that you said that I think of things that are healthy for example not reverting to necessarily binge eating Mm-hmm. or alcohol or, or drugs right so those things sort, that yeah. are like I need that quick fix of like I got a shift but it's something that doesn't leave you feeling depleted or empty or angry or frustrated with yourself later that it makes you feel that that physiological response actually heightens and continues versus being a high down to a low kind of thing. Oh, and I think that's, that's really important to point out. And I think that's the, you know, where we, there are, negative coping mechanisms and positive coping mechanisms. And so I think it's important and that, and most of your listeners, you know, because you do talk a lot about health is that, you know, sometimes we look for these quick shots of dopamine, you know, from these foods we eat, you know, we get this huge shot and then we get this plummet, you know, (laughs) like, especially if it's a lot of sugar and it's people don't realize like there are ways that we can get a shot of dopamine that doesn't involve in putting like food in your mouth or alcohol or drugs. We can get that shot of dopamine by laughing by getting our heart rate up by physical touch we can get it so like there's all sorts of ways that we can get this same feeling that's actually good for us in many respects not just a quick fix that will leave us feeling maybe like crap later on you know Mm-hmm. Yes. so beautiful now we do need to wrap our podcast yeah. shortly here but what a beautiful conversation with you stephanie thank you yeah we're just where can people find the book if they want to check you out where would be the best way for them to pick that up for you, from you well amazon is the best place it'll eventually be dispersed out to other channels but currently amazon has all three versions of my book so you can get an ebook um paperback and audiobook version and i'm most proud of the audiobook and um and they're all on amazon so again the title is transformation after trauma embracing post-traumatic growth and you'll see my name stephanie m hutchins phd so Amazing, Stephanie. Well, thank you so much for the work that you're doing and how you're showing up in this world. I know that you're making a massive impact and we certainly appreciate you taking the time to chat with us this evening. Yes. And I appreciate you very much for having me. So thank you. All right. Welcome. All the best. Take thank care. you. Bye-bye.